Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio by my colleague, Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hello, everyone. And from San Francisco, we have our colleague on the phone, Kelly Price. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Thank you for joining us. And um, we wanted to talk to you about a hot new topic in customer experience land, a uh, term that might not be familiar to our listeners. So we'll say it slowly. Personas. And I'm just kidding, listeners. Personas have been around a very long time, 20 years or so, at least, according to your research. Right, Kelly? So why are you writing about a topic that uh, we've written about for years and years and years and everyone knows everything about, as far as I know? What's new and interesting in Personas? Yeah, it's a good question. I would argue that people don't know everything about Personas. <laughs> and um, oh, you know, over the past 20 years or so, I feel like the number of agencies and consultancies and firms trying to use personas has grown you know, pretty exponentially. Um, and they're being used for a variety of different use cases, some that are really good, some that aren't so good. And as a result of that, there's kind of a lot of confusion in the market right now about what a good persona is, what a persona should do, what information should be in it, what should you expect your personas to be able to help you achieve. So this report was really about addressing some of those core challenges that uh, I hear very frequently from our clients about personas to get to the core of what is a persona and why should we be using it as a tool. Okay, so it's 20 years in and people still don't really know how to use personas. I guess I can understand why you need to write a report about that Mm -hmm. then, trying to dispel some of these myths. Um, From your research, uh, from your conversations with clients, uh, what are some of the big challenges that companies face with personas? Sure. I'd say the number one thing, um, which we see with other tools as well, I think we see this a lot with journey maps, which are obviously closely related to personas, is people setting out to create them because they feel like it's something that they're supposed to do Mm. uh, without recognizing that they are a purpose-built tool that should be created in pursuit of achieving something. So without having that kind of upfront level setting of understanding why do we need personas and what are we expecting them to achieve, they become just kind of something that becomes wall art in many cases. That was a quote that I got from the research. Wall art. I like that. A decoration for your wall (laughs) as opposed to something that's going to help you create uh, better customer experiences. Another big challenge, which is kind of in tandem to that, is that people create them and it becomes all about the effort as opposed to then using them. So there's all this emphasis put on the actual creation process, creating these really pretty artifacts, but then they don't actually change anything about the way decisions are made or experiences are designed. It just becomes kind of an effort to create them and that's it, um, which Mm -hmm. doesn't do very well for helping to establish the quality or the um, utility of personas and they do have some really good use cases. And then I guess the third major thing that I'd see is people create personas and they expect them to do everything. They expect them to suddenly help the entire organization um, align around customers and build empathy and drive design decisions, but also be used for marketing. And so they're just expected to be this kind of catch-all thing that's going to somehow transform the experiences that you're creating, again, without really thinking about, okay, what are the nuts and bolts of the process of how that would happen? And across all of those cases, our persona is actually the right tool to achieve all these things. And in many cases, they're not, you know, they're one tool. So you've touched on a few times uh, the utility of personas or what it is that they're supposed to accomplish and achieve. Uh, so to put that back to you, what yeah. are they um, supposed to accomplish or achieve? How do you know when a persona is the right tool to use? 
Yeah, good question. I think there's kind of two major categories, and part of the challenge with them is sometimes these get confounded, and you can create personas that are good at doing both, but sometimes you kind of want to separate them out. So one thing that personas can be really good for is building empathy. They provide a great way to kind of capture what's the crux of our customers, what are kind of the behaviors and motivations that matter, and how should we be thinking about our customers. And when you're trying to create that consensus around, um, you know, a cross-functional team, uh, really get immersed in the customer, they, they do provide a good foundation for that in a way to kind of provide something for everyone to refer back to and have an alignment of who the customer is. Now, on the other hand, if you're using them actually as more of a design tool to drive day-to-day decisions, you know, the information that needs to be in them and what's focused on is a little bit different than when you're using them primarily as an empathy tool. So personas are a great thing to have, to have as a rule of thumb of deciding, you know, okay, what experiences should we be creating? Does this matter for our core customers? And then, you know, at a feature level and when you're building a product, for instance, which things actually make sense are going to help the customers that we know are most important achieve their goal. But that's a much more tactical application that becomes part of the day-to-day design decisions, which is focused on typically a smaller group of people within an organization as opposed to trying to cultivate empathy across you know, an entire enterprise, for instance. You just mentioned the two different uses and so that different information is needed in different uses of those personas. But then do you still create one persona? So do you have the tactical persona that has mm-hmm. all of this information that the designers need and then you take out some of that information for the persona that you share with the organization? How does that work? What's the best yeah. practice? Good question. I think there's different ways to approach it. You can create personas that are really purpose-built for a specific design challenge and have that be mostly something that's part of, you know, a tool for the design team. But when you're creating them as part of a larger, you know, customer experience transformation effort, it's possible to create a persona that is really effective for that empathy building, but then also a useful design tool. And just as you were alluding to, Jenny, what that really takes, though, to make that effective is to have kind of customizable versions of this where you can port information in and out that's relevant to whoever is using it. So that as you're kind of taking this around to different mm-hmm. stakeholders or people within the organization, it becomes evident that, okay, how is this information relevant to me and the decisions that I have to make? How is this going to help me and my job make more customer-centric decisions? So what I see some agencies in particular doing, working with their clients that is really effective, is creating either kind of cliff notes versions uh, that are tailored to different individuals or having different sections of the persona. Um, and when we're talking about the actual physical artifact that are traded in and out that give specific directions. Like if you're a designer and these are the things that you should be keeping in mind, what does this mean for a marketer? And have kind of specific tools for different roles so that it's all linked back to that same essence of who is this person is to cultivate that shared understanding. Mm-hmm. But then as a tool, it becomes customizable. And by doing that, um, it also helps prevent another problem that we hear frequently that has uh, kind of made people sour on personas over the years is that they become like these binders of information where it's impossible mm-hmm. to find okay, what in this, you know, world of data and quotes is relevant to what I need to decide right now? So they end up becoming really, really bloated if you're not very intentional about thinking, you know, for this specific scenario, for this specific person, what information do I need to pull forward so that this becomes a useful tool? We were talking about that. We were saying, it doesn't matter that Joe has a dog named Riley and lives in a blue house. Right, right. Well, and I think, you know, Kelly, you raised something that was, uh, or you, you know, answered or Jenny's question in a way that I, I was worried about, which is if it's entirely self-service, 
for the different roles to pull out the information they need. I mean, to what extent would they even know? But you were sort of saying, like, pointing them to if you're a designer or if you're working on it in this capacity, here's the mm-hmm. pieces of this would, that would be of interest to you or relevant for you. And, and maybe if they get really good at it, they can start to self-select on their own. But I think that kind of guided feedback to point them to the right elements in the persona helps. But I also I want to follow up on, on Jenny's point, because before we were recording, Jenny and I were having a difference of opinion. And Kelly, you can break the tie here. No pressure. Between, do you want personas that have a really discrete, specific set of information that is all relevant, right, that we know is important to us designing our products and services? Or do you want to expand the amount of information, fill out the stories? And I I think we've seen examples of this where you've got lots of details beyond maybe what you would think of as directly relevant to your products or services. Do you have a do you have a thought about that? Did you hear about any best practices about sort of making those decisions from the research that you did? Yeah, I think it depends on the environment that you're working in and kind of the degree of customer empathy that's already cultivated on your team and in your organization. And then also sort of at what point in the process you are. So I think of the narrative descriptions that are part of personas is that's really about that empathy piece more than having it be a really discreet design tool. So you use that to help the persona come to life, have it not just be, you know, be reduced to here's a collection of bullet points of the behaviors that we know are important. So you can start thinking about this persona as a real person and internalize that. And that's an important thing because if you're going to actually have customers in your mind day to day, internalizing them as a character is an important part of that process, which is part of the reason why personas have been so effective. But on the other hand, you know, having a narrative description is not always the most effective way to do that. I think there's probably some cases where it makes sense to build out a scenario and bring a certain scenario to life and just have that be a simple kind of little snapshot. But at the end of the day, what you're looking to get your organization to understand is that by getting customers, by understanding them, by having empathy with them, by seeing experiences through their point of view, that's going to allow us to create better experiences and then, you know, therefore all the business benefits that that we see from that. And so you want to think about personas as a piece of trying to make that transition, but you can't expect the persona artifact itself to do that whole thing. So I feel like I'm kind of diverting from your question, but the point is here that, you know, if that narrative portion of the persona is about bringing that person to life and immersing you into their experience, you know, there are other ways that you can do that. And what I see being most effective is personas being paired with other forms of customer immersion, such as bringing, you know, people from different teams into the research process, actually having them sit with customers, showing them videos of an actual customer speaking about something that might be captured in that narrative. But then what the persona does, if it's more being used as an empathy tool and a way to kind of get the customer into the minds of, let's say, your engineering partners, for instance, having that persona serve as a reminder of, oh, this reminds me of Jean, the woman who I spoke with a few weeks ago, and Mm -hmm. having it be kind of the way to bring that to life, because that's going to be much, much more impactful than just giving someone a piece of paper, telling them to read that. That's much less real. So it's paired Mm -hmm. with a larger strategy of immersing people within, you know, your customer's experiences and having it be a constant reminder that that's something that we should be thinking about. That's really interesting, because I think you sort of, at the end there, were getting at a point that I hadn't thought of. I think it's really interesting one of... (laughs) 
you know, not falling into maybe the uncanny valley of mm-hmm. trying to have the personas seem so real, but then they actually get creepy and almost distracting because they'll never be real people, but they seem like real people. And so you're not sure, wait, is this a persona or is this an actual individual that we're talking about? And so, you know, if you push to that level of detail where you are, you know, what they talk about from sort of, you know, animation or whatever, the uncanny valley where it looks too human, it will actually be off-putting. So you want to maybe keep and not push too far with it. And I, I think the other point that you raised, Kelly, that's it's a really good one to come back to is if your real intent is to socialize customer centricity and connect employees with the end customer in a visceral, memorable way, personas aren't really designed for that. That's not what they are intended to do. And there are other better ways to do that that complement personas and will actually make people in the organization better users of personas if you have them. Right. And I think maybe this is what you were alluding to at the beginning of this question, but, um, and Jenny, I think you mentioned this too, like, oh, if John has a dog, do I care? There's a balance that you have to strike between adding enough details so that it brings the person to life so it doesn't just become, you know, what we would typically see in a segment where it's really just a collection of data points to diverting focus from the portions of the persona and those behavioral variables that actually matter for making decisions. So from that perspective, you want to think about if we really need to bring customers to life, finding ways to do that and then you know, distracting people towards details that we might just add to something to make someone seem more real. Well, Jenny, I'm glad, you, glad that uh, Kelly agreed with me. So you've been proven <laughs> well, wrong I on heard, air. I just heard her agreeing with me at the end there where I said there can be too yeah. much detail. That's distracting. No, and I'm just kidding. I think uh, I think you, Kelly, you almost perfectly split yeah, the difference the in our really argument. Really well, so you're both right. Yeah. Um, but you did make me think of something and I think this also explains how to draw the line on how much detail to use is that if it is to socialize and create empathy, if you create a really good persona, then someone in customer service who's talking to someone on the phone may realize, you know, oh, this is the persona that we have mm. who really needs a lot of detail and handholding through this process. Right. I see this persona in this customer that I'm talking to. Whereas then there's the flip side where if the persona is so detailed and they're talking to a customer and they say, well, it lines up on A, B and C, but they live in a different type of house. So this must not right. be the persona. <laughs> then it loses that relevant application at that level of detail. I think that is a good heuristic that if it's detailed enough mm. that people can recognize yeah. which persona it is when they're talking to a customer good. But if Mm -hmm. it's so detailed or so specific that they're quibbling over whether it matches that customer exactly, like then, and that might even be a problem with the socialization effort around the persona. It's like, make it clear that this is not whoever the name of the customer is on the persona. It is representative of many, many customers who have roughly this profile or this set of needs and wants. And I think that's where it becomes really important of pulling in real customers into the process. I think so many, you know, based on your background, so many people are trained to think about customers in terms of demographics, for instance. And we know that from, you know, a persona perspective, and we're talking about behaviors and motivations, depending on what it is that you're looking at, they may or may not have any correlation to demographics at all. And that becomes part of the challenge with personas as well, that we actually assign a face and an age to this, where it becomes, you know, a woman who's 50 years old, but that doesn't mean that, you know, all people who represent this behavioral segment are women, middle-aged women. Mm -hmm. So by creating that immersion with actual customers on a regular basis, illustrating 
communicating to your employees that these are kind of the behaviors that we're looking for, and this could manifest you know, across many, many different types of demographics. That becomes clear that it's when you're trying to identify, and that example you use, who is this person and how should I be interacting with them? You're looking at patterns and perhaps the way that they're responding or behaving and kind of the crux of where the persona came from. Um, you know, when you give them a name, such as this is Joe, and this is what Joe looks like, and this is the outfit that Joe wears, they may think that that is Joe, right? Okay. And it can limit the realm of realizing that this is more of a behavior, right? Or an attribute um, and how they engage with a company. Is there a risk in giving it a real picture or a name? Or instead, should it be, you know, a description of the behavior as the title, you know, concerned Catherine, instead of, you know, Catherine, um, so that they understand what the behavior is, or should you do a cartoon or a doodle for the picture instead of a, a real human? Mm. Is there any type of, I guess, guidance there or, or pros or cons? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of personas out there that have like a concerned Catherine kind of title. I guess the challenge there is, and again, it's, it's striking a balance. And I think companies that use personas really well, they're able to create them as if they're real people, but then make it not so focused on those demographics or kind of stereotypical variables as sort of what you're using to drive decisions. The problem or the challenge with, you know, using cartoons or making it more like archetypical as opposed to an actual person is that you lose the psychological benefit in many cases of personas, which is that ability to really have this you know, collection of data and research that you've done manifest as what, you know, psychologically and the way you're thinking about things as a real person. And that's been shown to have influence on the way that people make decisions. It's more effective at moving away from, you know, using your own assumptions or what you think makes sense, or this is just a stereotype to this is a real person. This is like a friend mm -hmm. that I have that I understand and that I know. If you were thinking about, you know, creating an experience for I don't know, some stereotype as opposed to a complex real human being that you know in your real life, the decisions that you would be making to do that would be much more nuanced. Um, so that's really why the basic guideline for personas is to represent them as a real person because people are complex. And when we move back towards, you know, stereotypes or this person is represented just as this one thing or you lose that benefit of um, understanding that complexity. So Kelly, Personas have been around for roughly 20 years. When we check back in with you on episode 1142 in 2037, will we still be talking about Personas? Will they still exist? Is this something that's going to be around forever? I think so. I think as it becomes more and more easy to bring customer data to life, and by data, I primarily mean you know qualitative data mm. across a larger group of people in your organization. I think that what the persona is and what information we put into it will probably change. But I think having something that's an anchor, as I mentioned earlier, to relate back to real customers and to create that cohesion of understanding across, you know, different people in an organization, that's still going to be needed. But what I'm seeing happen now, which I think is the trend, or I hope is the trend and continues to progress through time, is, you know, people creating kind of internal databases that have their personas, but then it's directly paired with all the interviews that they've done 
that complemented or that led to that persona or that represent their persona so that, you know, it's directly accessible by people across the organization to get immersed in, you know, research from real customers, seeing what real customers care about, hearing things in their own words, but then having that relate back to, okay, we've aggregated this information into this persona. So I think that that kind of trade-off or that pairing of real research with persona is going to become closer and closer, you know, and I think hopefully that more and more organizations are going to start, you know, housing that information in a way that is easily accessible and digestible for larger groups across the company. Great. Well, Kelly, thank you for joining us on CXCast again. Always a pleasure to have you. Listeners, if you are interested in personas and making sure that your company is using them effectively, then I would encourage you to check out Kelly's report, Persona Pitfalls, Seven Missteps and How to Avoid Them. And there's lots more detail uh, building on our conversation today in there about how to get past some of those pitfalls and use them in a really intelligent value adding way. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Jenny. And listeners, we'll talk to you all next week on CXCast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of CXCast. And remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality. (laughs) 